0: Hello, my beautiful boons, and welcome to today's episode. So I'm yet to come up with a title for this episode. I'm sure you've read the title because you've clicked on it. But it's something along the lines of productive feedback to yourself, you know, like, you know, how to give yourself constructive criticism, how to be accountable, call yourself out on something versus negative self-talk and being critical on yourself. Because they're two completely different things and I want to make that clear because I'm always talking about pulling yourself up on your shit, blah, 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 blah. But how do you do it in a really productive way that's making you feel good versus – you know, slipping into maybe some old patterns that you might harbour where you are engaging in negative self-talk, where you start to feel really shit about yourself and your actions and then it's not productive at all. It gets you nowhere, if anything, you feel like you're a few steps back. That is the episode of today. There also is going to be a brain fact, of course, and a listener question. I have had more listener questions come through, which is divine, so thank you for those. Um, If you would like to add a listener question to the mix, just send your question to info at dyfmpod.com. Try and roughly make the question um, to be – read. if you read it out loud, it should take roughly like no longer than a minute, maybe maximum 90 seconds to read it. That way I can get through the question and then give you like an in-depth answer if possible. All right, so firstly, just a little update. I didn't mention this in my last episode, but on the weekend my friend Ash was hosting an event She's a boxing coach and she does breathwork coach, breathwork coaching, I should say. And she hosted this event at the Bondi Pavilion. It was so great. And I mentioned it on my stories that I was doing a little chat at the event as a guest. And a bunch of you guys went and bought tickets to the event and I got to meet some of you. And it was honestly so beautiful to meet you guys at the event Um Just to name a few of you guys, there was Barbara, Mariana, um, Taylor, Avalon, Liv. There was a bunch of you guys that I met. It was so great to chat to you and it's just gotten me so pumped to start doing like live events um, around, I guess the first one would obviously be in Sydney because I live here and then, you know, around Australia, New Zealand, the world ideally is the goal long term because I do have global beans everywhere. So that would be ideal, but it's gotten me super pumped because meeting you guys in person is so great. I get to hear your stories of how, you know, because I'm always talking to you guys and you're always hearing what I have to say, hearing about my life, but I rarely get to have an insight into your stories and your life. So it's really, really cool to get to meet you guys and hear about, you know, how you've overcome this or what about the podcast helped you get over, you know, a breakup or this or that. It's really, really cool. So that is my little kind of life update story whatever you like to call it. Anyway, let's get straight into the brain fact of today. So the brain fact of today or the science fact of today that I want to talk about is the hormonal contraceptive pill and how that actually works um, as a contraceptive. So I think the best way to start would be to start by kind of breaking down or giving you like uh, an overview of what happens in the menstrual cycle. Of course, what I say here, it goes a lot deeper than that. And there's a lot of like minor details that I am just going to skim right over because it's, of course, a very complicated process. But to give an overview of the menstrual menstrual cycle and that way it will help you understand how the hormonal contraceptive pill works because it works by targeting kind of um, – activity through the brain that then sends messages down via hormones to the uterus. Okay, so it basically involves input from the brain area called the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland and the uterus. So it's kind of a communication between those areas. In your menstrual cycle, everyone's got slightly different time lengths of what their menstrual cycle is. They say that like the the most common one is 28 days but of course it varies for a lot of people. You've got at the start you've got something called the follicular phase and this is when the part of the brain the hypothalamus releases something called GNRH which is gonadotropin releasing hormone and this then triggers, so that the that hormone from the hypothalamus, that part of the brain, then triggers the pituitary gonadotropic cells, which is a gland, the pituitary gland. So it triggers that gland and then that gland then releases these follicle stimulating hormone. I'm going to call it FHS, it's a hormone, and luteinizing hormone, which I'm going to call LH. So FSH and LH are the two hormones that the pituitary gland is releasing. When these hormones are released, they make their way down to the ovaries and there they bind to the eggs. At this point, the eggs are called oocytes because they're not mature eggs yet. So once this binding happens, they start to grow layers, these layers that get built around the egg. And this is when the LH, the luteinizing hormone, plays its role. It's stimulating LH receptors around this area, and it's creating the production of androgens, and androgens are sex hormones. So all this is happening at the start of the follicular phase. Now these androgens then get converted into estrogen, and the early stages, and in the early stages of this follicular phase or cycle, the levels of FHS and LHR are going to be higher. Now, the role of estrogen here is to start to thicken or one of the roles of estrogen, I should say, is to start to thicken the lining of the uterus in case of a pregnancy. So it makes the lining of the uterus really rich. So if you have a fertilized egg, the egg can bind properly to the lining of the uterus um, and, and safely there. And it's like this quite a rich environment for the egg. So that's what estrogen is doing. It also sends messages. Estrogen also sends messages to the brain, to the hypothalamus, and it basically tells it or communicates to it to stop producing more FHS and LH, those two hormones that I mentioned that the pituitary gland releases. So that that signal is coming from the hypothalamus down to the pituitary gland. And then more things are going to be happening here with the inhibition of FHS, that hormone. While all of this is happening, we finally get one single follicle, those eggs that were getting all the layers around it, you get one single follicle that's going to continue to grow and it's going to be producing more estrogen. Then that kind of leads all the way up to day 14 uh, in the middle of this cycle and estrogen then triggers the LH to rise. We get this sharp rise of LH and also a rise in FSH. FSH, but it's not as much as the luteinizing hormone. Now, once it reaches the highest levels of of LH, the follicle bursts or kind of, yeah, well, bursts, and it releases the egg out of the follicle, out of that sac, into the fallopian tube, and that is ovulation, okay? That's now ovulation, you're halfway through. Then we get into something called the luteal phase. So the follicle, that follicle that released the egg that burst and release the egg, that turns into something called the corpus luteum, and that corpus luteum starts to produce progesterone, which is another sex hormone, which also thickens the uterine lining. It does a lot of things. One of the things is that it's thickening the uterine lining. During this time, progesterone and estrogen are sending messages to the hypothalamus, that part in the brain, to block further release of GNRH, which is what is, you know, sent to the um, pituitary gland and blocking the release of FSH and LH because we don't want new follicles getting stimulated or developed at that point in the cycle. Okay. So you're blocking the release of those hormones. Now, this here is the window for fertilization. If the egg isn't fertilized, that corpus luteum, which remember is that follicle that did hold the egg and then released the egg and then and then um, turned into the corpus luteum, which produces progesterone, that corpus luteum starts to break down. And then the levels of estrogen and progesterone drop due to the breakdown of that corpus luteum. Now the drop in these two hormones, that kind of like – big drop in those two hormones is what is going to cause the lining or is what does cause the lining of the uterus to break down and exit which we know as a as menstrual bleeding or as a period then once all that happens the phase starts again so as you can imagine, after everything I just spoke about, also I got a lot of this information from some textbooks, but there's some great pharmacolo- some pharmacologists that um, have some really good videos on YouTube as well. So I got a lot of information from multiple sources. Uh, but as you can imagine, there's a fucking lot on at the moment when when you're, looking at a, um, when you're looking at a menstrual cycle. There's a lot of dips and peaks and dips and peaks of different hormones which is what causes like this. this it's like a f- well-oiled machinery and all these fucking moving parts have to occur for your natural cycle to take place. So when you're looking at hormonal contraception, this is the pharmacology time, you've got to understand that just by changing the levels in your hormones or in these particular hormones, it's going to have a huge impact on how your menstrual cycle unfolds or however you want to put it this kind of contraception the hormonal contraception interferes with the cycle and it's targeting the endocrine system of the female so ovulation doesn't even occur in the first place and because ovulation can't occur fertilization is not going to occur either there are two methods of hormonal contraception that i'm going to mention you've got the combined method which is where estrogen and progesterone are used that's the most effective type. And then you've also got a progesterone-only version, and this one might be taken if you're breastfeeding, for example. There's heaps of other reasons why you might take the progesterone-only version, but it does behave differently. For example, it makes it harder for the sperm to enter the uterus. It's, it's doing something by thickening like the mucus of the uterus lining, and it does other things um, amongst that. So looking at the combined method, which is the most effective type, it's it's very commonly used – You've got two kinds. There's the monophasic, and this is pretty common, and that's where the same level of hormones of progesterone progesterone and estrogen are released for twenty one days. So it's the same amount for the full twenty one days, it's getting released. And then you get withdrawal bleeding, which looks like a period, but it is not a period. Okay, because you didn't actually have of an ovulation, a proper ovulation. And if you think about what I just told you about the cycle, the menstrual cycle, there's this, you know, when this level goes up, it sends information to the hypothalamus to stop the production of this. And then when this goes down, it sends information. If you've got progesterone and estrogen, the same levels bang straight for 21 days, then there's no way that the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland can be releasing these hormones in a proper cycle. So None of that's going to happen properly. You're basically blocking the ability for the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland to work harmoniously with the uterus. So kind of nothing goes down because these these levels are too high. Then you've got another version of the pill which is called multiphase and it tries to imitate a little bit more of cycles of hormone release. So over the time in your cycle – it aims to administer less overall hormones. So You've got some days where it's more, some days where it's less, but it's trying to – I think the aim behind it is to mimic more kind of how your body would release, you know, hormonal cycles while still blocking the ability of um, ovulation. So I find that really, really interesting. I mean, like I said, it's extremely – I'm not an expert in – Uh, menstrual cycles of fertility but I found that really interesting because like a lot of things in the body it has to do with communication from the brain down Um, so yeah and everything or almost everything comes down to chemicals whether it's neurochemicals or hormones everything's so tightly linked to like a pharmacological foundation, which I fucking love because I love pharmacology. Anyway, so that is the science fact for the day. I find that quite interesting. Um, Let's get straight into the topic of today. So let's get into the episode of today. And this is all about the, I want to break it down into a few categories. I'm going to be talking about the importance of pulling yourself up on your shit and all of that. Then I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be really getting clear on what giving yourself positive feedback looks like, what it should look like, what it should feel like. And then I'm going to talk about what negative self-talk is, what it looks like, what it should feel like. And then I'm going to talk about when you can apply these things and how you can do it. Okay, Because when you're starting out on this journey of self-growth and self-improvement, It's going to feel a little bit overwhelming because you might realize, wow, there's a lot of things that I've got to change. In my podcast, so often when I mention things about, are you in a toxic relationship or is this happening to you? I often, as often as possible, try to remind you guys, ask yourself, am I the fucking red flag here or am I the one that's done this? Because it's very easy to pinpoint negative traits in another person's behavior because you're on the receiving end of it. So it's very obvious, but sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's always harder to identify these negative or annoying traits because for you it's the norm and what my, what you might deem to be, oh, it's just a personality trait, is actually mean or infuriating or unfair to somebody else. So I'm always saying, you know, ask yourself, do you do this? You know, pay attention, get really aware and conscious of your own behaviour. So I am always doing that in the podcast. But sometimes that can blend into you then getting overly critical on yourself and going the other way where you're not actually – pulling yourself up on behaviors in a constructive way, but instead you're shutting yourself down. You're being really mean to yourself. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. This can even apply itself to if you've identified a trait that you can identify as extremely mean to somebody or toxic, or it's just a fucking walking red flag. There's still ways that you can be productive about it without beating down on yourself thinking you're a fucking asshole. Why would you do that to someone? How could you have done that? Blah, 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 blah. Because at the end of the day, we're all here learning. We're all growing. You're, in most cases, you're doing the best with what you know right now. And when you know more, you do better, okay? So there's no point turning around and thinking, you're a fucking idiot. That's not going to get you anywhere other than feeling shitter about yourself. And then when you feel shit, you're less likely to be in a receptive mind, mind frame to be able to, you know, accept your own feedback and, and to start to grow, Okay, so let's begin. Number one, why is it important to pull yourself up on your own shit? Because if you don't do that, you don't gain emotional maturity. If you can't turn around and shed light on your own behavior, then you're never going to be self-aware. Okay, and I'll go into self-awareness in a second. So it's super important to do this often. I'm not saying you do it every fucking day. I'm not saying you do it after every interaction with someone, not at all. But the key times that are really good to do this is every time you criticize someone close to you. And I'm not saying like to their face. Every time you think, oh, I hate it when they do this, just quickly pause and say, do I do something? Do I do that or something similar to that? Okay, okay. That's a really prime time to – because it, A, makes you instantly calmer about how annoyed you are at that person because you think, wait a minute, we're all human. Have I done this before? Like when you are really annoyed that someone's not noticed that the light's gone green and you're like, fucking move, can't I've got somewhere to be and you're behind, then you think, wait a minute. Have I ever been distracted at the lights? Yes, I have. Okay, let's all take a chill pill. We're all human here. We're not robots. Some things don't happen as quickly as we'd like them to happen. Some things annoy me. Some things Sometimes I do things that annoy other people. So that to me is the prime time. When I'm infuriated at a stranger, or I wouldn't say, okay, I rarely get infuriated, but when I get annoyed at a stranger for doing something for holding me up or at my partner or friends or family for doing something where in the moment I'm like, oh, that's just aggravating me. I think, pause. Have I done that? And if I haven't done exactly that, what have I done that could potentially be annoying or could have held someone up or wasted someone's time? Okay. Okay. That is really important because it gives you perspective and it makes you better at understanding people. It gives you emotional maturity. You become patient, you become um, empathetic and sympathetic and that is a hugely important trait to have. The quality of your relationships will improve tenfold, if not a thousandfold, if you, uh, if your emotional maturity is high. Okay, that is the importance. That is why it's so important to pull yourself on your shit so you become, can become... T- more understanding of others. Number two, accountability. Another reason why you should be giving uh, positive feedback to yourself or feedback in general to yourself is to become accountable. Being accountable is the key to get you places in life. And by accountability, I mean taking ownership for what is yours, the good and the bad. It's so important to do that. For example, Let's say, let's take relationships out of the picture. Let's say you are in a situation where you want to achieve a certain job, whatever title or, you know, something in your career and you try and then it doesn't work for you. If you're someone who's not accountable or you don't own your shit – you will make up all these external excuses as to why it didn't happen for you. Oh, I was so sick on the day. My voice was really, really bad. So they couldn't really hear me properly. So it just went really well. Oh, oh, that person, had they not done that first, I wouldn't have slipped over and then this happened and then blah, blah. You will come up with every fucking excuse under the sun as to why you didn't succeed. And none of those excuses have to do with your own behavior okay that might be the case one time here one time there where literally shit hits the fan and nothing's in your control but in most cases something was in your control or something was your responsibility for example someone who's more accountable can go in there and say wow I got there and I was not the most prepared person in the room that is for fucking sure I've now learned that I need to be way more prepared I walked in there cocky you know, that's, that's being accountable. That's being like, I'm good, but I thought I was better. And I clearly met someone that was a lot more prepared than I was. Now I know what I need to do. And it doesn't have to be all bad. It doesn't have to be, you know, some things are like, I definitely read that wrong. I read the question wrong, or I, I just missed that thing altogether. I wasn't paying attention. I need to be more focused next time because I know that that was my downfall in that exam, in that in um, interaction, whatever. Some things, are a direct thing that you can pull yourself up on on your behaviour. But some things are literally like I just was not the best performer on the day. These people outshone me. They outskilled me. That's just life. It's not saying, well, I would have won, but all this, this shit happened to me and I'm the victim of a situation and that's why I didn't win, okay? Be accountable. Have some ownership over the situation. Are you the best in the room or maybe you're not, Did you not succeed because of something that, you know, maybe someone was just better than you or you didn't prepare hard enough or, you know, you didn't do the things that you should have done that you know you could have done? Were you being, you know, too cocky about the whole thing? Or is it genuinely one of those fuck situations where everything goes wrong that day? That is being accountable, knowing when it's in your control, when when it's not in your control. Now, the next thing is self-awareness. Self-awareness, you can read – Every book under the sun, you can listen to all these podcast episodes and every other person who's in the self-development, mental health podcasting space. You can listen to every fucking episode, every ebook, read every book, watch every documentary. You can be someone that can rattle off the stuff that I've spoken about better than I can because you've listened to it so many times, your your, your recall is on point about it. You could know so much about the topic that you could do lectures on the topic but if you don't apply it to yourself with enough self-awareness to know when you need to apply it and when you don't and how you're going to apply it based on, on how you learn things, then you're back at square one or you're not, you, you just never left square one. If you don't have self-awareness, all that knowledge is borderline pointless. Yeah, you can rattle it off to someone else who hopefully has self-awareness, but you've gained not much at all. Self-awareness is everything. It's like when people give relationship advice to you when they're in the most fucked relationship. It's like someone who keeps going back and back and back and back to this toxic cycle, contributing to the toxicity, accepting all this toxicity and then turns to you and says, don't accept that. How dare you respond to that person? Oh, my God, don't reply. Don't reply when they're in the worst relationship ever. And you're like, cunt, shut the fuck up. What am I looking at? What am I looking at? I'm looking at someone lecturing me when they are doing The opposite of what they're saying. It's frustrating, but we all have a level of that to some degree. And to think that you don't have a level of it probably is a lack of self awareness. All of us, to some degree, lecture someone on something that they know themselves they're not doing properly, which is okay. You know, it's always, you're always going to end up saying something, and, you know, but it's good to have awareness and think. I also need to do the same thing. Or if you say to someone, you can say, look, I'm the same. I also need to be working on this, but blah, blah, blah. Know what you need to work on on yourself. Know that it's okay and that everyone is the same. We're all on a journey of growing and learning, growing and learning. When you learn, you grow, and then you learn again and you grow more. And that's just the cycle that repeats itself and repeats itself and hopefully will repeat itself until the day you die. Hopefully you don't stop growing and learning. That's the aim. Well, that's at least my aim. When you have those things, when you're able to pull yourself up on your own shit, when you're accountable, when you have self-awareness, then not only are you going to feel a lot better, a lot happier, you're able to make you know big steps of progress in your life, but you are going to, by default, attract healthier, better, richer relationships into your life and opportunities because you know so much about yourself. You're not this blissfully unaware. It's not even blissful. You're not this unaware individual cruising through life, acting like a wanker and thinking that you're better at something when you're not, and then feeling like a victim when things don't go your way. It's like, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not. I know what I need to work on. I know what I'm, what, what I can just cruise on. I know the traits that I need to get better at, blah, 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 blah. Okay. When you've got that level of awareness, the quality of your relationships and of your um, experiences go up in life. Okay, let's get into the first section where I'm going to break down what pulling yourself up on something in a healthy way looks like, what, or what I call positive feedback or, or, you know, just healthy feedback looks like. Number one, it is logical and unemotional. So you're able to just state a fact, okay? You're not going off on a tangent. You're not going and like l- just loading this statement with all these heavy emotional words. You're just stating a fact. It is logical. I am doing this. Okay. Do I, for example, I'm really annoyed that this person's making me wait at the lights. Do I do this at the lights? Yes, I do. I have been distracted at the lights before. Has someone needed to beat me to hurry up to go through the green light? Yes. They have. It's very logical, it's very unemotional. We're talking facts, straight facts. Number two, when you give yourself this positive feedback, it's got to be something that's productive. And what I mean by productive is something can be done about it. You're talking about something that you do in your behavior that could be altered, could be changed if you wanted it to. Number three, it has to be measurable. You have to be able to pinpoint the exact behaviour that can be changed and how can it be changed and how would you know that it's changed? How, how would you measure it? Okay, so for you to be like, oh my God, I need to stop being annoying, that's not really measurable. What exactly is annoying? What could you do to stop being annoying to this person and how could you measure that you've stopped being annoying? Okay, or you could apply that to anything. Okay, especially when you talk about pulling yourself up on your own behavior. If you are controlling, instead of saying, oh, I want to stop being controlling, you could say, I am going to stop checking my partner's phone. Okay, that's measurable. And what is it that you do exactly? I grab my partner's phone. Do they know about it? Do they not know about it? Am I going to tell them that I do it? Are they already aware that I do it? How can I be more accountable to stop checking on my partner's phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can talk to them about it. I can say I no longer want to be checking your phone. Blah, blah, blah. There's a million things you can do, but it's got to be measurable. Can you pinpoint the exact behavior? It's not a broad word. And can you measure the outcome? Number four, the focus is on the action or the behavior, and it's not on you as an individual. So when you speak about what it is that you do, you don't say, "I'm a, I'm such a fucking moron because blah blah blah." You're not labelling yourself as a, as something. You're saying, "I do this. My behaviors are this." Okay, so that way you're not talking down to yourself. You never want to be talking down to yourself. You're trying to support yourself through this. So if you are thinking, oh, I'm doing all this self, self-development work and I turn around and just absolutely roast myself and make myself feel shit, that's not really helping yourself with self-development. You can be blunt with yourself, but you don't need to be cruel to yourself. That's unnecessary and it's not helpful. No one wins, okay? Number 5, you have patience with yourself. You understand that it's not something that necessarily will change overnight. You understand that there's going to be peaks and valleys and there's going to be, you know, lapses and regressions and then progressions and things like that. So you are patient with it and if you slip up, you don't blow up at yourself. You look at the overall picture and you think, "Well, out of the last 5 days, Three of those days I did what I said I was going to do, two of them I slipped up. So that's pretty good. Let's see how we go for the next five, seven days. Number six, you provide yourself with solutions or possible solutions. You're not sitting there saying, I hate that I do this, I hate that I do this, I hate that I do this, and then go and have dinner. No, you sit there and you think, right, this is what I want to change. What's something that I'm going to do or what's something I could do? Can I start looking up solutions online? Can I look up people who have gone through what I'm going through and see how they've you know, curbed that behavior or changed that thing that they wanted to change. And seven, you know, if it's healthy constructive criticism or feedback, if you are able to observe yourself and not jump to conclusions judging yourself straight away, you have to get really good at observing yourself with interest. You've got to think, wow, that's so interesting that I do that instead of thinking, oh my God, I'm fucking mortified, I'm so embarrassed. You think that's really interesting because I probably never really paid attention to that. And that behavior has annoyed me and other people, but I do something similar. Interesting. Where did I learn that? Why? You know, just just be curious about your own behavior. Those things are all constructive. They're all productive ways of giving yourself feedback and doing something about it while growing and learning. Okay. You're not... You're not helicopter parenting yourself being like, oh, I I want to protect you. No, you're being raw. You're being real, but you're also being patient and kind to yourself in the process. Now let's talk about negative self-talk, which is the opposite, basically the opposite. What does it look like? There's four points to this one. So there was seven points in the other one, four points to this one. It looks like name calling and character assassination. So character assassination is something you should never do. You should never do it to yourself and you should never do it to another person like your partner. When you get into a fight with your partner, you should only ever be arguing the, the facts of the situation or, or, the, or the points that you're arguing about. If you're talking about someone hasn't done a task, you're arguing sticking to the specifics of that topic. If you then turn around and need to say something about that person's character or appearance or something on them that's irrelevant to the topic, then you don't have an argument. Okay? End of story. If, if, you, if somebody is someone that when, they crit- when they're annoyed at someone and they criticize them based on their appearance, they don't have an argument. Okay? They don't have an argument. And to me, that makes me respect what they have to say less because I just think you've reverted to, to character assassinating because you actually have nothing to say and you're just hurt and offended and you're feeling like a victim and you're lashing out now. That's what happens. Don't do that to yourself, okay? Don't think, I've done something that I would like to change. And instead of turning around and character assassinating yourself because you don't actually have a good enough argument as to why you're being so mean to yourself, you could think, okay, I need to learn, I need to grow. What can change? And you think of the seven steps that I just mentioned in the constructive criticism, positive feedback section. Name calling a character assassination will get you nowhere and that's when you know that you're not being constructive. Number two, unproductive statements that have no solution. Saying I'm a fucking embarrassment. Oh, I'm such a failure. There's no solution to that statement. So when you say that, you need to counter it with a statement that has a solution. If you say I'm a fucking embarrassment, then you say no, pause. I can see the emotion around that. But what did I do that caused embarrassment then you name the behavior and once you've named the behavior you're starting to release any resistance emotional like resistance around that you pinpoint the behavior and then from the behavior, you make it productive. What about that behavior can be changed or altered or deleted? Okay. Number three, emotionally loaded statements that trigger memories. So if you failed at something, you could say, well, wow, I really wasn't prepared. That would be healthy to say something like that. Or instead, I'm a failure. I always fail. I always fail. And then you start bringing up all the times you failed. You start thinking that fucking time that I went for that audition failed. That time that I tried to do that exam, when I really tried to go, to uni and I failed that time. And then you start thinking of all the fucking times in the world that you failed and you end up feeling shit. Here you are trying to do something productive. You end up feeling like absolute garbage. And number four, attacking yourself and being unforgiving. This idea that you can't forgive yourself. How are you going to progress if you don't slip up in life? We're going to slip up. We're going to make mistakes. We're even going to behave badly or, or we might even be cruel But the important thing here is to learn from your mistakes. Learn from your behavior. And once you learn, don't be unforgiving. Just be grateful that you've now learned. You've got the self-awareness to be like, I'm glad I'm not going to do that again. I'm glad I've gained the awareness that I used to be like that. How good that I don't have to be like that again. How good that I'm never going to repeat that behavior. This is a good step forward. Instead of thinking, I can never forgive myself for that. I'm fucked. I'm fucked. I'm a fucking nut. No, everyone must hate me now I, you think less of yourself and then it kind of snowballs down that path okay so to summarize the negative ones name calling and character assassination unproductive statements that have no solution emotionally loaded statements that trigger memories attacking and being unforgiving okay now how do you do it how do you start becoming more understanding more patient with yourself so i've already mentioned a couple of them already one of them is when when someone does something annoying, you ask yourself, do I do exactly this? Another one is if there's a, if someone is upset at you, a really good thing to do is instantly ask yourself, have I contributed to this outcome or is this person just upset in general? and they're lashing out to me. So I'm not saying, and this is good to ask yourself that because I'm not saying you should take ownership for every single thing that comes your way because sometimes you don't own it. It's not your fucking business. They can get fucked. Okay. But sometimes it is your business. It is your problem and you can take ownership. So ask yourself, have I contributed to this outcome? What in my behavior may or may not have contributed to this outcome? And if the answer is yes, that's when you can start digging a little deeper and doing the steps one to seven with the first category that I mentioned. If the answer is no, then you can peacefully be like, all right, I'm understanding that this person's having a fucking moment and I'm going to let them have that moment. And you can step away or be there for them. That's another topic altogether. Another thing you can do is you don't have to wait for something to come up in your life. You can actually start to do a bit of an inventory and think back. Okay. This is one of my favorite ones, but it's one that people don't really like to do. So to make it easier, because it's a bit confronting, to make it easier, it's good to do this at the end of every day. Instead of sitting down and thinking, right, I'm going to fucking pull up every fucking hectic memory that I can think about right now and address it and say where I was in the wrong. Just do it at the end of the day based on just that day's interactions. Think, I had this really unpleasant conversation with this person and we kind of snapped at each other. What about my behavior? Could I have changed? What do I want? What, what do I like about other people's behavior that I would like? You know, I'd love to be more patient. I'd love to be less reactive. Was I reactive? Yes, I was. Did I snap? Yeah, I did. Okay, cool. So now I can start looking at how I react to situations when someone's angry. Does someone's anger trigger anger in me? What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm harboring all this anger unnecessarily? Is it possible for me to learn how to, you know, take a breath in these moments and not project back my anger to them? you know, this whole idea of like anger is a secondary emotion. So you start thinking, what's the primary emotion behind this? And you start getting really good at doing that. And it's good to do it just for the day because it's fresh in your memory. You haven't, you know, added all these details to that memory. It's kind of just happened and you're able to work through it later that day. But separate to all of that, one of the easiest ways to do it is if you see yourself in any of the behaviours of the four of, you know, name-calling, character assassination, if you see yourself or what, the moment you notice yourself doing that, you pick something from, step, from those four that you're doing and then you think, okay, hey, what from the seven points of constructive criticism can I implement here? You know, here I've just called myself a really horrible name. I've looked at myself in the mirror and said some awful things to me. What can I do about... What can I do about this? how How much of this is logical and what's illogical? what What am I focusing on right now? Am I focusing on a behaviour, or am I focusing on myself as an individual? because I should be focusing on a behaviour? So you start to to bring some reason into into this chaotic, State that you might be in, and the things you're saying to yourself, and how you feel about yourself. You start reasoning with yourself. You start to kind of debate both sides. You start, you know, instead of just listening to all the awful things you say to yourself, you start thinking, no, 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 wait, it's no way near as bad as I'm making it out to be. We're talking about one behavior here. This behavior can be addressed. Bang, bang, bang. Once you start getting better at debating with yourself, you start releasing the intensity of the judgment towards yourself. You start not being so hateful to yourself but realising that you can train your brain to have less resistance and to be way more compassionate and understanding towards you, you then, the more you do this, you then start to your initial reaction to something is going to be a lot more productive. At the beginning, you're all hating on you, 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 and then it changes to focusing on the behaviour and thinking about what can I do in a productive way to change that behaviour. And that's how it's going to turn around for you. Guys, I hope that that was helpful. I hope that you're able to really break apart the differences so you're able to continue to grow as a person, pull yourself up on your bullshit with, while being productive, kind, patient, and considerate with yourself. And it's like a really healthy journey for you instead of it feeling like this awful thing that you're going through every time you're trying to grow. So that is all for today's episode. Uh, let's get straight into the listener story. All right, listener question of the day. Question. I started listening to your podcast a few months ago and I love how you share advice in such an articulate way. I actually had a question about podcasting. Seems like it may be a personal question, but I remember you spoke about how you fell into it and it inspired me. I've been wanting to start a podcast for a while now because I have so much to say and love talking and sharing whatever I've learned and know and helping people overall. The biggest thing I go through is imposter syndrome, and how I can monetize it into a career, and if that's possible for me, because I really do want to live a nice lifestyle, not average. How did you grow your podcast, and was there anything you went through mentally that helped propel you forward? I asked more than one question, but grateful if you have any advice to give. Thank you. Um, Okay, so when I started the podcast, originally I had the intention of just doing it as a way, because every time i talk to people about the brain or neuroanatomy or anything I'd learnt in my undergrad or my postgrad, people would be like, oh, my God, you, you light up when you talk about the brain. Like your eyes go big and I'm like, oh, my God, listen to this. So then I thought, okay, well, I, I love performing. I love – I thought I'd be end up being a lecturer or something just because I loved like, – honestly, put me on a fucking stage any day of the week and I'll thrive. Get me on a stage. So I thought, okay, well, how can I combine – being like performing and science. And so originally I was going to do a YouTube channel and um, I was kind of like brainstorming ideas for that, maybe like little segments, 10-minute things. And then I fell into podcasting because I was a guest on my friend Lucy and Nikki's podcast. And I just loved the experience. I loved everything about it. I loved just sitting down and having a conversation. I kind of liked that I didn't have to go through, especially starting out, I didn't have to go through all the prep work of setting up cameras and this and that. I just wanted it to be simple get my point across. And that was it. So when I started, there wasn't much planning behind the madness. I was like, just pump out a fucking episode. And people found it really, really relatable. So I grew my podcast purely through word of mouth, purely through word of mouth. It's actually you guys that have helped me grow my podcast. So what I would actually do if I were you is that the number one thing you want to think about is what is your why behind the podcast? What and so there's two things. There's, there's there's what are you offering, but also what's the why behind the podcast? So firstly, my why and this why filters through every single episode. It's the underlying theme behind every single one of my 180 whatever episodes that I've got up. Um, my why is I want to help people improve their relationships with themselves. So no matter what I'm talking about, if I'm talking about productivity, if I'm talking about cutting out a toxic person in their life, if I'm talking about self-love, whatever it is, the theme is I want to help people improve their relationships with themselves. Okay, That's what I want. That is my why. That is why I do what I do. So I want you to understand what your why is, number one. And that why has to penetrate every episode, okay? Or at least 95% of your episodes. The second thing is, what am I offering? Is it, is it a solution? Am I offering entertainment, like comedy or, you know, true crime or something? Am I offering education? What am I offering and keep that relatively consistent. So I personally, while I educate, I think I offer solutions. That's what I'm pretty sure I'm offering. Yes, I educate. Yes, I have my brain facts. I, I consider my podcast educational, but it is a solution. People come to me being like, how do I X? How do I I Y? You've got to think about the communication with your audience as a conversation. You've got to look at which episodes perform the best. You've got to look at why you think they perform the best, which episodes were shared the most and why. So then you start to learn about your audience. The, second, the third thing that I want you to think about is, why would someone share this? So it's all well and good to have three people like your podcast and that's great. But if you want to grow it, it's because someone's shared it. Podcasts are going to grow because of word of mouth. Yes, you can do a promotion here. Yes, you can do a promotion there, but it's only going to be good and it's only going to be sus- like have that sustained um, audience if it's shareable content. So you've got to ask yourself, why would somebody share this episode? Why? So for me, it's worked as a very shareable podcast is because we all have relationships. We all have productivity problems. We've all had fucked relationships, like fucked romances. We've all been ghosted. It's very People have this very visceral um, reaction to a lot of my episodes because they're like, oh, that's exactly what happened to me. Oh, my God. Or, oh, my God, that's exactly what happened to my best friend. I'm sharing it. You guys, you have to listen to this, guys. So you got to think, why would somebody share this episode? What is in it? that someone says, my friends have to hear this. They have to hear this. The same goes for if it's comedy. If you listen to a funny episode, you don't want to just enjoy it yourself. You're telling everyone, you're like, guys, listen to this episode. Oh my God, I want to share this with you. I want to discuss this with you. I do that all the time with like funny podcasts that I listen to or like really fascinating stories. Like I love the podcast, British Scandal, Canoe Con. Fucking, I've told so many people about that. Like shit like that. So when there's a good podcast and it's just edge of your seat stuff, people want to share it. Or if it's just educational and it's relevant, people want to share it. So those are the main things that you've got to do because the growth that you get is from word of mouth So and, and communication with your audience. As you listen to your audience, you understand what it is that they want, what they want more of, okay? And that's what's going to keep them engaged. That's what, what's going to keep them coming back. So shareable, keep them coming back, make them feel like you, you know, are listening to them and you understand them. So that would be my biggest advice when it comes to podcasting. Um, And then as far as monetizing, you can either put it on, there's certain like platforms that you can upload your podcast on where you can just automatically have ads run through them. Or you could get an agent who um, sources ads and sponsorships for the podcast and starts, you know, playing those sponsors, the sponsored ads on your podcast. And obviously the money that you generate on a podcast is directly correlated to the amount of downloads or listens that that podcast gets. So of course, the more listens you get, the more um, a sponsor is going to pay to, you know, play an ad on the podcast. And you've got to look at listens because now you don't really look at followers or like subscribers with podcasting. You look at how many listens a podcast has had because a lot of people never follow or subscribe, but they're diehard listeners. They just never click the subscribe button. Okay. So it's not really a thing now to look at, um, how many, you know, followers you have. It's more so what is the download amount every single week or day or month. Okay. Hopefully that's helped. I mean, I could probably do a whole episode on this, but they're kind of the main points that you want to think about when starting a podcast. um, At the end of the day, it doesn't have to be this crazy slick production. It doesn't have to be this fucking – it can be if you want, but you have to connect with your audience. That's the most important thing. And you have to care about your audience. If you don't care about your audience, if you're just doing it because you want a good podcast, then the likelihood of it doing well is slim to none, to be honest. You have to care. Podcasting is a very intimate – way of communicating with an audience when people meet me on the street and they're like I feel like I know you I feel like I know them and that's that they're the ones hearing my voice all the time and I'm not hearing them but I'm like I know my audience and I feel like I know you guys so it is this intimate relationship between podcaster and audience so you have to care about your audience you have to want to provide good fucking content for the audience um and if you have that and if you have your why that's very clear and what you're offering is that's very clear, then things are going to start to like unfold very kind of smoothly and nicely for you. So hopefully that helps uh, if you guys – actually do want me to do more content about starting your own podcast then let me know maybe i'll do like a bonus episode one day about it and i can answer all your questions Uh, that is all for today's episode as always remember be kind to yourself be kind to your brain don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself dogger